Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and it's my pleasure to bring to you Lindley Baker, who is a person who just finished writing her first book and is an individual I met when she was taking a course on how to write a book. And then we connected after her course and her book was finished so that I could serve as her editor. Lindley, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. It's an honor to be here. Lindley is a, a woman whose story you will enjoy immensely in her book, and we'll, we'll talk about that more. She's got quite a tale of taking her skills and talents and returning to the workforce after a significant time of being away raising a family. Lindley, let's talk about what drove you to write your book. What was the impetus behind sharing your story? I needed to share my story because I did something that generally is thought not possible. And I found that it was possible. So I thought, well, other people need to know this. I wanted to raise my own kids myself. I wanted a big family and I got it. I had six kids and I poured my life into them. But before and after they were growing up, I had this career I loved. I'm, an, I'm a mathematician, uh, specifically an actuary, which is a mathematician for insurance. And I love that work. So even though I wanted to raise my children more, I was still hoping somehow to get back. And when I got back, I was excited, but I even reached my career goal of full vice president. And so I thought, well, I, I got both of what I wanted. And so I, at that point, I knew I have to tell other people because I meet people that are afraid to have the first kid or the second kid because they think it will ruin their career or they're afraid to take a year or two off because they're sure it will ruin their career. But if I take 19 years off and I have six kids and it didn't ruin my career, then there's so many possibilities for people. And let's reflect on that for a minute. I want to make sure that our listener heard that piece. You took 19 years off your career and then worked your way back into a position and ultimately reached your goal of becoming a full vice president. That's right. That's astounding, Lindley. <laughs> well, thanks. But I learned some things on the way that make that kind of thing possible for other people. There because I had a hope that I could come back, I decided I would try to keep current in some way when I wasn't working. So I taught part-time at some universities near wherever I was living at the time to keep current with mathematics and my specialty. And I also volunteered with the Society of Actuaries, which certifies new actuaries. And they use volunteer actuaries to create educational material and to create exams and to grade exams for future actuaries. 
And so I was able to be part of that group for almost the whole time that I wasn't working. I, I still am now. I, I like that work. But it was, it, that was what was key because I was able to keep current with the concepts and also with changes in the profession through that teaching and volunteer work. And there's really, there's a third element of keeping current and that's actually doing the day-to-day -day work. And I didn't keep current in that, but I had two of the three and that did two things for me. One is it opened the door for a job because with the, when I had my job interview, the interviewer wanted to know what made me click. He, he was very good at trying to read a person from their conversation and their resume. And he wanted to hire someone that would be dedicated to the profession or to the job, which usually is shown by working over the many years. But he was able to say, oh, I see you've made this 19 year investment in staying current. And I'm like, well, yes, that's what I did. And I mean, I hadn't even called it that, but that was his name for it. And, and that was great. And then the other thing was that I was more prepared to work because I didn't have to catch up from all the 19 years at once. I only had to figure out the day-to-day -day work, which was mostly like technological advances that people used on a daily basis on the job. And you had an experience in China, which was unique. When you say you were teaching actuaries, I think that underestimates or it underdefines the opportunity that you had when you were in China, which was a very unusual opportunity to be able to teach. Can you tell our listener or our viewer who's watching this on our YouTube channel what happened in China? Sure. When I was in China, I was on my 19-year break. We had four sons and so I was mostly taking care of them, but I had a little mental antenna up in my head and was looking for, you know, what can I do as an actuary? And I read in the International Monthly Journal for Actuaries that they were looking for a professor to teach in China the very first actuarial course in that country. And it was in Shanghai, which was the city where I lived. So that was just a, a, a fortuitous, helpful thing. And the reason that they, it was the first course is because China had a, a planned economy. Everything was owned by the government. And so there was no risk. Risk creates the need for insurance. And in the 90s, China was transitioning toward a more of a market economy where a company could own a business. And so they, maybe they have a factory. And if that factory burned down and that was all their assets and there was no insurance, then the company is over, it's ruined. But if you have insurance, then you insure many factories and the one that burns down, they get the money from the insurance company. So they needed actuaries to do the calculations to figure out the cost of the premiums and all the, the numbers behind what runs an insurance company, which is the actuarial role. At the time, the, the Chinese government had chosen 30 
brilliant mathematician students and they were sophomores. They had taken all their calculus and all the math that's a foundation for actuaries and they needed the actuarial specialty course. And so I was able to get that job and it was just twice a week for a couple hours. And that's what got me into teaching, which I love. But also it gave me the chance to really make a difference in the world to help this brand new profession there. And, and the students were, were really brilliant. In, in the US, the certifying exams have a pass rate of about 30% of the people. And I prepared these students for two exams and 100% passed one of the exams and 97% passed the other exam. So I decided they were all smarter than I am. <laughs> well, were they English speaking, the students that you were teaching? No, they were Chinese speaking, but that makes it all the more impressive that they passed because the exams are in English. Mm -hmm. So I taught in English. I spoke slowly, especially at the first of the semesters, so they could start to catch up and, and hear English. They are required to study English in their school system, but they don't get a lot of the audio or conversational. It's more written. So it was a big jump for them, and I was very proud of them. You know, I remember going to Japan with a friend of mine and we were at one of the temples on a tour and there was a group of Japanese students who came up to my friend, Barbara, who's got blonde hair and blue eyes. And they said, can we speak to you in English? And they were clustered around her and she was talking to them and they were studying her very intently and watching what she was saying. And I could see that those wheels turning for them mm -hmm. is that this was an opportunity for them that they couldn't pass up. Yes. <laughs> so how impressive they had to listen to you speak in English. They had to process the information translated into concepts that would make sense to them and then learn something that is fairly complex. This is not a, a cakewalk to learn the math behind being an actuary and all of the actuarial concepts, and then to pass the exam. That's quite an accomplishment that those students achieved. Oh, definitely. In, in fact, to become a fully certified actuary, there are 10 of these exams, as well as some other uh, modular activities and things. And so it usually takes about 10 years for people to get through the whole process. <clears throat> so to get two exams done in one school year was quite impressive mm. for anyone, especially those Chinese students. Mm -hmm. And why do you think the pass rate is so low in the United States? I'm not sure, but I really just clicked with those Chinese students. Mm. I taught them, I gave them enough homework for them to get the concepts down and to get good at the calculations. And so then at the end of the course, they were prepared for the exam. Later, I taught at an exam at a, a university in the US and I was teaching them the same way. And, and they complained. They said, well, <laughs> we just want like an introduction. We don't want to be prepared for the exam by the end of the class. We will study that hard later. And <laughs> I thought, what a waste of time. It's like, that, I mean, when I was an undergrad, I did the same thing that I did with my Chinese students. I studied 
hard during the semester. And at the end of that, I took my actuarial exam and I passed it. Uh-huh. So, I, so I think part of it is, is the attitude of the students. But I also think that, that China had very wisely chosen some excellent mathematicians for their first class. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back to the book and how you wrote the book. And you've just given us a little hint in terms of how you have in the past developed a pattern of studying to be able to pass exams. You were faced with the idea of writing your story. What is the process that you followed to get that book written in as I recall, relatively short period of time from start to finish. How long was it? It was about 15 months. And for me, as you listeners probably have already figured out, I am a numbers person and not a words person. So Mm -hmm. writing a book is something that is out of my wheelhouse, or at least it was, it's not anymore. I decided I had a lot to learn and I found a class at the local community college on writing a book. It was only three weeks long and it was an overview of the whole process and I found it super helpful. One thing that they did was they brought in guests by Zoom. This was last March, so the pandemic was starting, but we had had guests from all over the country. So the Zoom part of that had already been planned. Mm -hmm. And Pat was one of the guests. We had editors, we had printers, we had book designers, and it was just really helpful. We also had a couple textbooks about how to write a story and how to write a book. And so it was actually, by the end of the class, I felt worse about writing a book. better because I said, you know, how you know, you're not afraid of what you don't know, but I knew so much more about what this whole process was. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, what am I doing? So I, but what I did was I set weekly goals starting at the beginning of the class at the recommendation of the teacher. And then I would, and they were things I could just do in one week, like research something or write a certain chapter or find a quotes for my book. And through doing that over several months, then I was able to get through the class. Um, One thing that was super helpful was um, starting with an outline. One of our book writing uh, textbooks talked about that. And outlines are are really logical things. I put it in Excel because that's where mathematicians love to live. Yes, and, <laughs> and I wrote, I, I figured out chapter titles and I wrote columns of like drafts of the, of that chapter. And did I send the chapter to my beta readers? And did I redo the chapter with feedback from my beta readers and all that? And for me, it was helpful to look at the numbers grow and I think the one chapter I have 13 drafts of, and I think the low is a chapter I only have three drafts of, but I know how many chapters have drafts. I know how many total drafts I have. And so it made it a little bit of a game for me. And that helped me get through this 
process of just being in the words all the time. I just feel like I have a message to get out. So I had to learn how to write a book and then I had to get myself through it. And I did that through my Excel tracker. Tell us about the process of finding the beta readers, working with the beta readers, how many you had, what kind of reactions they had. Um, did any of them not follow through after you approached them? Tell me about that or tell us about that. Sure. I had about 10 or 12 people that agreed to be beta readers and about half of them followed through. So I was really excited about one of them. She was a, a, an editor at, by career. She's currently retired. And I thought, wow, this is great free editor. And, but she didn't like my writing style. She thought my sentences were too short. And I was purposely trying to write to a general audience and not a, an academic audience. And so, that was helpful feedback in that I needed to make sure that my big ideas came through smaller sentences, but it wasn't that she could get, she was giving me specific feedback like on each chapter. But for most of them that followed through, I, some of them were very detailed. They, they found my typos and, or they would say, well, this is confusing. Please explain this. And I, I found that really helpful. A lot of them just said, I love this chapter. It was so inspirational. And even though that didn't help me improve my book, it gave me the encouragement I was going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. so, so, I've, so I really appreciated my beta readers and a lot of them have become my closer friends uh, through the process. Mm -hmm. And when you selected them, what criteria did you use? I used people that I hoped would benefit from the book. Uh -huh. uh, one of them was a, an 18 year old girl who had just graduated from high school. One was about to graduate from college. One was the story in my book about a physician assistant who's in mid-career and was, she was actually my doctor, that she was quitting to raise her two little girls. And so she was one of the avatars that I was keeping in mind as I was writing my book. Mm -hmm. And so that was helpful. And then others were like more experienced in life. And I thought they could you know, just provide some good feedback on on the, you know, the general situation on the stories is understandable. So I tried to purposely get a variety of people because my book, I hope, appeals to a variety of audiences. Mm -hmm. And how does this book fit within your ambitions for your career or for your business? It's really the launching point for my own business. My business I've called Linfluence. That's a combination of Lindley and Influence. And mm -hmm. that is to use my unique talents to make the world a better place. I have 
spun off three coaching courses based on my book. It's called Don't Be Afraid to Do What You Really Want to Do, mm -hmm. All Your Life Dreams. And so it's about identifying your dreams, shaping your dreams, and leveraging your break. So a lot of people, even people that are busy doing good things, they're, they're confused about really what their core is and what they want to do. And so I help them think about what they've enjoyed in life and find their purpose. Because I've found that when people are living their dreams, they have more capacity. They make the world a better place and they feel more fulfilled. For example, when I was busy with six kids, ages six to 16, I suddenly found myself with a little bit of free time when the kids were at school. And I decided to get a master's degree in music because I love music. That was my main reason. And I did it part-time because I couldn't do it full-time. But I just took my time and took me just over three years. And I found that when I would go away from home and take a class about music history or play chamber music with some other grown-ups who played well, it was just really thrilling for my spirit. And then when I came home, I had more energy, more brain capacity to deal with the day-to-day -day busyness of raising my six kids and taking care of the home. And that rings true with anybody working on their dreams, even in a small way. It doesn't have to be a full-time thing, but if you're pushing yourself towards something that you love, then you're, you're going to be happier. So my classes help them figure out what is at least one of those dreams that are going to feed their soul. And then the shaping your course deals with like, how do you fit it into your life? How do you move forward with it? Because sometimes it's not easy. And if it's not your job, then it's not going to be something that people are paying you to do or that you already have scheduled time for. So, awesome. and so, and it might involve hope, like my hope to get back into my career might involve setting fear aside, different things. So, so that's why I have these courses to help people get through and live their dreams. In addition to the courses, are you offering coaching for people who are struggling with these issues? Yes. Yes. So I have the one-on-one -on -one coaching and I have the three courses that are all available and it's not my, my full-time job. I have two half-time jobs now, or maybe two three-quarter time jobs. I, I like to keep busy. I have also offered actuarial consulting. So yes. I used to work full-time, of course, as vice president. And I just felt like I have the message to give to the world. And so if I work full-time salaried for an insurance company, then I don't have time for that, especially to coach people and help them reach their dreams. So I have part-time gigs that I do with actuarial coaching as well. So it all adds up to an adequate living. So mm -hmm. I figured out how to, to balance it. And like, I'm happier doing some of both and not just doing one or the other. Very nice. Now we are recording this just a few days before your launch party. And by the time people hear it or see it on our YouTube channel, the party will have taken place. 
I would love if you could share with our listener what you planned for your launch party, because you're doing it in a unique way. It can't be a group of people sitting in a, a room in one location. Tell us how you're handling that now. This is a Zoom party, and I have a lot of people that are um, like RSVPing to, on a link so that they'll be able to get the, the announcements as the party approaches. Like every couple of days, I send an email with a picture. Here's the green screen getting set up, or here I'm preparing like what to wear, things like that, to get people excited about the party. And then at the party, I'll have less than 10 people at my house, and most people will be on Zoom, but it will be a, a kind of a six-part event. I have three segments, and then we have three testimonial segments. So I'll first talk about why I wrote the book, which you guys already know, and then I'll have four people give testimonials about how they've enjoyed the book or how they've been influenced in their lives. And, or if uh, some of the people that are speaking have been, their stories are in the book and they're living their dreams. And so we'll ask, well, how does it feel to be living your dreams? And so we'll have four of those people. And then I'll talk about the process of writing the book because a lot of the people coming have never written a book and just imagine what it might be like kind of like I was, it's just over a year ago. And then four more testimonials. And then I'm going to teach one segment of the book. It's about setting fear aside because oftentimes fear will stop us from doing what we really want to do. And it's kind of like a cloud and a nebula and you know, clouds can fill a huge space, but they're really thin. And so if we think about the cloud well, well, first of all, when we feel the cloud, it just feels huge. And, and our spirit is like, oh no, I can't do that. And then if we distill it down into water, it's, it's just a little bit. And we can distill it by thinking, well, what's the worst that can happen? Or what are my concerns? Or can I do something to help my main concerns? So if your dream is to buy a house, what if you bought a home warranty Would that get rid of your concerns enough so you wouldn't have too much fear to buy your house. And either way, once you've distilled it, once you've thought it through, you can make a better decision whether or not to pursue that, that activity or goal. You'll have more confidence in your decision because it won't have just been an emotional decision. It will be well thought through. And then after that, we will have some door prizes. I'm going to give away some quote decks and a coaching session. And then just open it for people to talk. And I've invited people from everybody I, I know and that I still have contact with. I have friends from childhood, friends from college. I've lived all over the world in different places. And I am actually really excited to have all of them together in one place, virtually, of course but at one event, and I think it's going to be really fun. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a great event. Thanks. You mentioned a term. I, I'd like to wrap up our program by 
having you describe a quote deck for people who are not familiar with that term. Sure, a quote deck is kind of like what used to be a quote book. For example, Stephen Covey has the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And then he has a quote book from it that has all the quotes from the book, the big book in a little book. And nowadays people are starting to decide, well, instead of putting the quotes in a little book, we could put them in a deck, like a playing deck of cards. And so I have a deck of 60 quotes. It's not all the quotes from my book, but I think it's the best ones. Mm-hmm. And so you can take the, the book and the, the deck and peruse it, or you can put it up in your bathroom and flip over one a day for some inspiration. And, and even for people that don't have time or interest in reading the book itself, if they just go through the quote deck, they're going to get some of the basic concepts and inspiration from it. Hmm. So you have one quote per card. Are they on a colored background? Is there a picture underneath? Um, Is there some type of decoration around the quote? I'm curious about what they look like. It is like a playing card about that size. Uh And I have splashed color as a border around the quote in pastels. And then I have a fancy font in a dark blue, which matches the dark blue of my book cover. Right. And then at the bottom in black is the name of the person who said the quote. And then on the back, I have Linfluence, my company name. Hmm. Fascinating. (laughs) Is there anything that you would like to share as we wrap up? If somebody's thinking about writing a book and is hesitant about undertaking the process, what would you say to that person? I would say, don't be afraid to write a book. And I'm, some people could tell me that I'm hypocritical about that because at times when I was writing my book called Don't Be Afraid, I was afraid to write it. (laughs) And I was thinking, well, no one would want to read it or I'm not an interesting enough person or I'm a mathematical person. What am I doing writing a book? But those are normal doubts and feelings. And it's okay to feel that, but what got me through was thinking about the higher purpose. It's like, if I don't write my book, I can't tell people how exciting it is to live their dreams. I can't tell people that if you leave work to raise your kids, that you can come back and you can do even better. You can learn things on a break that people can't get sitting at a desk. And, and how to leverage that, because that was part of what got me to a vice president quickly. It wasn't just what I did after I returned to the career. So I thought I'd just have to get through it. And it was really those weekly goals that, that got me through that fear of writing that whole book, which is a huge project, and just saying, let me just do a little bit this week, and I'll get through it. And And eventually the fear subsided. And I think it was when it was like two thirds of the book had a first draft. So it started to feel like it was a creation and starting to come into existence that I thought I can do this. And and that's when the fear, my fear kind of went away. So I would say, 
give it a try. I think the important point for me that you just made is to embrace your fear, to recognize that the process of writing the book didn't cause your fear to subside immediately. You were already two thirds of the way through that first draft <clears throat> before you felt more comfortable about the process and that accomplishment. It sounds like built up some momentum for you. Yes, it did. Able you to put the fear aside. Yes. And tell our listener, how can he or she get a copy of your book? You can go to amazon.com. It's available as a paperback and as an ebook. And you can also get more information about the quote deck and other packages I have at my website, www.linfluence.pro. And that's the letter L followed by the word influence. And the title of the book again. Don't be afraid to do what you really want to do. Reach all your life dreams. L-I-N-L-E-Y is her first name and Baker is her last name, B-A-K-E-R. Thank you for being part of the show, Lindley. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. And for you who's watching this on our YouTube channel or listening to it on the various audio platforms, I appreciate you investing your time to be inspired by Lindley. She has a unique pathway to becoming an author and a specific area of expertise that quite honestly, as her editor, I didn't know anything about and became fascinated by the fact that she's fascinated by all of the math and the concepts associated with actuarial science. A specific type of using your mathematical capabilities in a unique way. Be sure to listen to our future podcasts and to go to the patire.com website, P-A-T-I-Y-E-R.com website, to pick up your free reports on various aspects of writing books. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Lindley Baker, and I just finished writing my first book. In fact, yesterday I uploaded it to Amazon, so it's brand new. My editor was Pat Iyer. I chose her from many choices. I had a book writing course and she was one of the guests that we had by Zoom and she was my favorite of all of them. So I wanted her to be my editor. She has hundreds of books that she's edited. She has over 50 books she's written. And that gave me confidence in my very first book that if Pat thought the book was okay, then I'm okay to share it with the world. And otherwise I didn't have confidence. Working with her was great. She had really good feedback. Sometimes her feedback, I didn't understand. For example, I had this one word I used that I used a lot and I thought it was really cool. And then she said, you don't want to use that word at all. And I, so I had to ask her, well, why, why, why shouldn't I use that word? And rather than just going my own way, I thought I, I'm paying Pat to teach me about writing. And so once I asked her about that, then I understood more about the history of that word and how I should use it. So my book was better as a result. And Pat helped me all the way through the process, including yesterday getting the book 
properly uploaded to Amazon. And so just having an expert, someone experienced was really, really helpful. And I'm happy I chose Pat Iyer as my editor. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. And we have just been speaking with April Callis Birchmeyer, who is the author of a book called Ready, Set, Change. April, tell our listener what they're going to get from being attentive to your podcast. Well, I'm so excited to share with everybody and to share with you, Pat, my journey from publishing this book last year that uh, talks about my process for leading organizational change management and how I went about um, taking it out to uh, over 60 project management institute chapters and uh, Society of Human Resource Management chapters and sharing it with them so that I could um, gather information and feedback and develop new products based on the conversations we were having. So I'd love to share that with you. April has an exciting journey as she describes how she became interested in the change process, dealing with resistance to change, and taking her book to become more visible and to capitalize on her book to create a new source of revenue. You're going to want to be sure to pay attention to April's podcast to get some tips for what you could be doing with your book. Be sure to catch her and click on down below if you're listening to this in the series of podcasts and catch April's show next. Thanks a lot. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.